Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome Devin Jarrett to the podcast. Welcome, Devin. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. So, Devin, you are a success manager at Noria. Prior to that, you've been heavily involved and still are involved with football by the looks of it. <laughs> and you've worked as project managers, auditors, all kinds of different things over the past, over your career anyways. Although super brief, what can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, so... Um, I've been with Noria for about six and a half years, came in as a uh, processes guy, helping to set things up internally, make sure that all of our departments and and, uh, lines of business communicated effectively internally, Uh, and then uh, made a transition over into the technical team, managing projects from a very, very high level, uh, making sure they got uh, got completed on time and on budget, all of those kinds of things. Um, And then I stepped into the technical consultant role, going out into plants, helping them, uh, you know, with training, building their lubrication programs, um, general consulting, all the things. Um, And then we found out that we had a bit of a a gap between our sales and our services department. um, And that's where I stepped in as a success manager. So I kind of have one foot on the sales side, helping our sales team um, and then also still helping out on the services side. So answering technical questions for customers and things like that, being a better single point of reference for our customers um, as they go through implementing a, a best practices lubrication program. Um, outside of that, like you said, football guy, I uh, officiate football on the side. It's, it's a fantastic hobby. Um, do everything from high school to uh, division two college right now. So very exciting. Absolutely. Sounds like it. So, you know, having one foot in the sales side, one foot in the consulting side, maybe you're better positioned to answer this question. I get asked all the time because I have no idea. And it's such a broad question that, you know, I'm not expecting any, any sort of answer for this one, but where do we start with lubrication? Because it is, there's so many different pieces and I hear people argue that you need to start with your oil. You need to start with grease. You need to start with all these other things. Where do you start? Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. Um, probably the, the best answer that I can give for that is you want to start someplace that makes it visible, right? If you're going to do regrease calculations, let's say, because you feel like that's important. Well, nobody really sees that except for your lube techs. And so nobody really thinks that there's a push for lubrication as being important. Um, if you start with maybe, let's say, a lube room, Right. Well, now you've got something that is is, is very visible to everybody. Uh, it's a drastic change. Or you start with desiccant breathers, installing those on gearboxes. Right. Again, that's something that everybody sees out on the plant as something different, and people will start asking questions. And now all of a sudden, you've got a visible thing that everybody can see. That hey, we are actually making a change here. Um, so I would say that that's probably the first place to start is get something that is visible for people to see. Um, and, you know, it could, it could be in a bunch of different places, right? But 
let's get something visible that everybody sees. That, that's probably the biggest thing. All right. And that is just to create awareness that we're doing something about lubrication. So operations managers and plant managers can actually see what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, if, if you don't see anything happening, you're just kind of like, man, I, I just, I don't know that we're making any headway, but right. If, if we're running back there, running through all the calculations, yeah, we're making headway, but nobody sees it. Um, but yeah, doing something like that. So management, so operators, so people see it and maybe they get a little bit excited about it. Right. Cause they've been looking at that piece of equipment for how many years and it's always looked the same, but let's, yep. let's do something. All right. Perfect. So we're doing something visible. What are, what are some of those low hanging fruit you typically see we need to address in organizations? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another fantastic question. So I would say like I already mentioned a little bit about desk and breathers. That's an easy one. Uh, labeling equipment or labeling lubrication points, right? Lab- labels are, are pretty inexpensive. Um, that, that's, a, that's a great place to start. Um, inside of a lube room, right? Uh, we don't always have a huge capital budget to be able to work with, but we can start with just cleaning it up, right? And doing things like 5S, marking off where things are going to go and labeling things inside of our lube room. That can have a huge trans, uh, transformation process of, of its own. Um, so those are some of those really easy ones that uh, kind of hang out there. Um, some of the other things, you know, you can talk about, um, you know, color coding things or calibrating your grease gun. Uh, I, I know we talk to people and, you know, you, you throw that out there and they're like, what on earth are you talking about? Calibrating <laughs> your grease gun, Right. I mean, really what we're trying to figure out is how many, how much grease really comes out with a pump of grease. Cause how many people have you talked to? And, and you say, well, how, how much grease do you put inside this bearing? Well, I put four pumps in. Okay. What does that even mean? Yep. Right. Exactly. So little things that, that are very, very inexpensive overall, right? It can be very easy places to start. All right. So let's talk about some of these. One of the other ones I commonly hear about is let's start filtering our oil before we put it in equipment. Would you yep. consider that low hanging or is that a little bit more advanced? You know, uh, depends on depends on how uh, extensive you want to get into that. Um, if, if you're wanting to purchase a bulk system, a storage system that does it all in itself and, and recirculates inside of a tank, uh, yeah, I mean, that's an easy thing to do, but it's it's very costly up front, right? If you're talking about getting a, uh, a filter cart and hooking it up to a drum of oil and that's what you want to start with, fantastic. That, that's relatively uh, inexpensive, right? You can get a good filter cart for maybe, uh, you know, $5,000 and... Uh, so, you know, you're not looking at anything too extravagant, those bulk systems, you know, those things can run 40 grand just for one, uh, rack of bulk tanks. Uh, and that's kind of tough to find $40,000 laying around in a maintenance budget. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to find that $5,000, right? <laughs> so, you know, it, it depends on, on where you, how, how, you know, uh, I guess grand you want to start there, but yes. Um, you know, uh, that, that's, that's another great place to start understanding that clean oil coming in from a drum isn't always clean enough for our equipment. Um, and so utilizing some time to filter that, remove solid contaminants and water that, that's inside of there. Um, even finding a good place to store it on site can be a, a huge win and an easy low hanging fruit. Let's get it out of, uh, you know, out in the elements, uh, get it inside someplace. At least inside, it's not getting rained on. 
Um, it might get warm, but at least we've removed the, uh, the breathing in of water and moisture. Um, so that's at least a, a step in the right direction. All right. Perfect. Because what I've seen with a couple clients right now is they're starting down this lubrication journey. So they've identified their champion. Okay. So they got their guy. He's gone, visited all the couple five sites in their area to kind okay. of see where everyone is, identify these be benchmarks, that type of thing. And then he's looking around. And he's like, we got to start with storing this stuff somewhat okay. Sometimes it's outside in the sun, in the rain. Sometimes it's covered. Um, sometimes it's, you know, in a climate controlled room, they're all over the place. So he's like, let's at least get everyone to a basic standard here. Let's put some desk and breathers on the drums that are open. Let's start doing that sort of thing. Then the next thing he wants to do is just filter carts, a filter cart or two for each site. That's it. Just to make sure, you know, that oil that's sitting out in the, uh, the sun and the rain and all that stuff, at least it gets filtered before it goes in. And then he's trying to work through some of these other things, like talking to mechanics about calibrating grease guns. And they all look at him like he's nuts. Every single one of them looks like he's crazy. Um, you know, they're talking about how do they color code things, do all these different things. And there's a lot of work going on. And it's never easy to really prioritize these things, I don't think, because it, there's just so much to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you kind of hit on something that, that's really important is finding that, that, I guess, lubrication champion, right? Who's going to drive the program? And really push for things that these things to happen because if you just say, "Hey, we want to do these things," as grand as they are, they're never going to get going. You, you've got to have somebody who's passionate about it, who's willing to take that first step and really push people to do it. Um, and you know, yes, it, it can be very, very overwhelming. And you know, I, I try to tell people, "Hey, just take like one of these things, right? Just just one of them." and take a day and just say, do you know what? Today, I'm not going to color coding of lubricants. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to get this thing figured out. And let, let's make a decision on it and let's move forward and let's just start implementing it. Um, and then, you know, next week, hey, let, let's tackle calibrating grease guns. We don't have to get it all figured out in, in you know, a day or a week. We've got time. Let, let's take our time to implement it and let's focus and get one thing across the finish line um, so that, you know, these changes that happen, um, you know, that they're not overwhelming for everybody. Because if I come in and I say, okay, you know what, today we're going to calibrate grease guns. We're going to label everything. We're going to get color coding done. We're going to put on desk and breathers. We're going to start filtering. Man, if, if I've just never seen any of that stuff, that can be very overwhelming for me right away. Uh, and people shut down, right? So finding kind of, I can't say that one of those things is more important than another, what do you feel is, is important for your facility that you think is easy to implement and a great place to start? And let's start there and just kind of slowly, gradually work there. Um, and, and we can get there very easily and we can bring our team along without, again, making them feel like that they've been doing this terrible job all these years. Right now, let's just start with some small changes here and there. Um, and it makes it very easy for people to buy in. Yeah, and that's kind of what they're doing. They've identified they got to fix their storage of oils and greases, but that's a longer-term play to set up a lube room and all that stuff. Like you said, it's not cheap. So they got that in the capital budget for a year or two from now, that type of thing. But then they're working on all these smaller things. Um, like I said, filter carts, desiccant breathers, um, you know, calibrating the grease guns, but then they're getting arguments between, well, let's just do uh, ultrasound-assisted lubrication. Well, you can't always reach those bearings. You got to use 
lube lines and they're going back and forth on these things you know it just seems like this never-ending journey and that's like the rest of maintenance and reliability right i don't think you're ever going to get it right right off the bat it's a journey never ending. yeah yeah definitely definitely we we work with some cost well lots of customers um one of them comes to mind right away of uh you know they they thought that they had a good lube room um and we went out and looked at it and we're like man you know like this is this is a, a a slight upgrade from a closet let's just be honest right um, and they're like, oh man, well, we really thought we were doing really good. And you know, this is where we used to be. Well, yeah, this is fantastic compared to where you used to be. Um, uh, and then they were like, well, you know what, we're going to, we're going to get this right. So they go in and, and, uh, they build a new lube room and they repurposed a, uh, I think it was a compressor room or something like that. Uh, so they repurposed a room inside the plant, got it air controlled, heat and air, uh, you know, non-slip floors, walls that you can clean uh got all the things inside of it and they're like yeah you know this really works but what they quickly found out was you know uh, they do have some equipment outside so anytime it rains you're tracking in all this mud and everything else inside the lube room and it was kind of a pain to keep it all set up and, and, and clean um and so it worked for them for a while and they got lucky in that the plant decided to expand and took over the lube room. So they had to put them someplace else. Well, when they put them someplace else, they literally got an entire building for them to put in their lube room. Um, and so now they've got offices for their lube techs. They've got a, a space completely dedicated to storing oils. They've got another room completely dedicated to greases and filter carts. Um, and everything is, is removed enough from a door that by the time you get to the, where the lubricants are stored, all the, all the junk on your shoes has all been kicked off. And so they're able to now maintain their lube room, uh, far better than they ever have, but it took them four tries of rebuilding a lube room to get it right. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, it, it, it can be tough to figure that, that tackle that animal as a whole, and there's just some things that, that you don't know about until you kind of get into it. And you're like, oh, man, you know, this sounded really great on paper, but it's just not quite working the way I thought it was going to work. Um, so, yeah, there, there is some trial and error in, inside of that for sure. So as we're developing all the or looking at all these low hanging fruit, do we have to develop some sort of standards or processes to make sure that, you know, it's sustainable or going to do it the same way in the future, that sort of thing? Or does that come a little bit later? Um, so I'd say yes, yes and no. I'd say yes to both sides of that, right? Um, as you're putting things together, it's great to have a standard. Uh, if we're going to do calibrating grease guns, let's say, well, let's have a standard on how we're going to do that, right? So let's make sure we have a, a postal scale and a sheet of paper. We're going to zero it out. Let's determine how many pumps we're going to put on that grease or on that piece of paper. And how many is it? Is it 10? Is it 15? Is it 20? What, what's that number? And let, let's have a, a solid process for that. Um, and then, you know, are we going to decide to dedicate a grease gun to a specific grease? Uh, because if we are, right, obviously a, uh, a grease with, a, you know, a 460 in it is going to pump different than a grease that has a, a, a 150 in it. So, you know, even though you, you've, you've calibrated it, let's make sure we calibrated it with the grease that we're going to use inside that grease gun because uh, that's going to make a big difference. Um, and so 
some people don't think about that. They just grab, you know, well, we're throwing away grease, so let's get the cheapest grease we've got. Let's throw it in this grease gun and figure it out. I mean, if that's the standard that you want to use, okay, but that probably wouldn't be the standard that we'd recommend. Um, but yeah, you're going to document the things that you've made and the changes. Um, and, you know, documentation can feel uh, on two sides. On one side, it can feel overwhelming because, you know, you see this list of things to do. But again, if we, if we just focus on a couple things, it's easy to do. Some people view documentation as, you know, I don't want to say a waste of time, but a you know, well, we, we all know what we're doing. Do we really have to write it down? Like that takes time for us to write it down and proofread it, make sure it all makes sense and comprehensible that I can go hand it to a new guy and say, here, read this. Does it make sense? Um, but that's really what we have to do. Because uh, unfortunately, uh, at, at a lot of plants, right, lubricant technicians is, I don't want to say a revolving door, but a lot of places, that's, that's an entry-level job. Um, and so... You've got to make sure that it's 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 written out correctly so that somebody can get it and know exactly where you're at today. Um, and and it's inevitable, right, that somebody comes up and asks you, "Why are we doing this? Why why is it that we're doing this?" Well, here's the documentation of why we're doing it. Let, let let's put that in there. Um, and then sustainability. Uh, that, that's a that's a, a huge part of it. Is you should be going back and doing an audit of something that you've implemented to make sure that it's still being done correctly. Uh, you know, it, we're, we're, Nate, we're, we're beings of habits, right? Um, and when we try to change that habit, it takes a lot of effort and work to change a, a habit that we've got. So we do need periodic checks to make sure that we're still doing what we were supposed to do. And we haven't slipped back into those, those easy, I'm going to say easy, lazy ways, right? Or the old ways of how we used to do it, because that's so ingrained in us. And uh, if, if I'm having a uh, you know a bad day and I just don't want to think about anything, it's very easy for me to go back into those old bad habits of things. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're we're minimizing that as much as possible. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP-accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Yeah, the, the one client I'm working with right now, they're developing standards as they go. So if we're tackling calibrating grease guns, then they're adding that to the standard at a basic level. Then they're doing the next piece and so on. They're evolving it slowly. Um, but they seem to be very focused on sustainability and having pro- standards and processes for everything. So that's just part of their culture that no big debates on that one there with them. Yeah. But I've seen other organizations, to your point, where, well, we know how to do it. Why write it down? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So as they're going through all these low-hanging fruit, they're building up, they're starting their lube program, that sort of thing. Do they go all in all, all at once or is it, you know, a f- little bit of phases, build some trust, build some confidence, then move, then go ask for some more money? You know, do they do it that way or do they try and just push through all of it in one shot, <laughs> even if it is still low hanging? Yeah, uh, man, it's all over the board on that question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we've seen companies or plants that have just dove in head first and said, you know what, we've got buy-in, we've got, you know, capital, we've got corporate 
behind us that says, you know what, they want us to get this figured out and essentially have written us a blank check, so let's get it done. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen those. And on one hand, yes, you can implement a bunch of things um, and you can get it done very, very quickly. Uh, the, the one downside of that is you are making a very, very drastic change to a lot of people. Um, and, and you are, if you're, if you're going to just dive head first into all of it and try to implement everything, uh, you know, you've got to remember that it's not just about, uh, you know, your, your equipment, the things that you're putting on your equipment. It's not just about the equipment that you're putting in your lube room. It's not just about writing down those, uh, those, the documentation side of things, but you've got to bring your, your, your people along with that. So, you know, you've got to train them in the things that they're going to do. And, you know, let, let's be honest, the, the training that's required for some of these lubrication uh, roles isn't like a, a, a one day seminar online, right? It, it's three to three days of training of, of eight hours a day for three days worth of training. And it, it's a lot of information coming out at, at them. So don't think that just because they went and sat through this class that they're going to remember you know, 24 hours worth of content that was foreign to them when they sat down in that seat. And they're going to remember all that when they're going to, to apply it inside, inside the plant. So yeah, we can get equipment and lube rooms and documentation all up to best practice and, 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 and best practices, but getting your, your, your people there, that's a sometimes a longer journey than what we think it should be. Um, and so that's the one caution that I would have to people that are saying, hey, let's just do it all at once, right? It's going to take you longer than what you think. You think it's going to take you nine months, plan on 18, because that's realistically how long it's going to take to get your people up to speed with all the things that are now inside the plant. Um, well, that's, that's true for all other reliability initiatives, right? It's the people side. We can come up with the fanciest tools, processes, if you can't get people to buy in and follow it, it's not going to be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we, we've seen, uh, you know, a lot of success with, with people that, uh, that, that do the slower methodical aspect of it. And, you know, my recommendation to those folks is, is make sure that, that okay, let, let's, let's have a realistic plan. Identify the things that you want to accomplish and put a timeline on it. And, don't just say, hey, you know, we're going to put on 3D bullseye sight glasses in six months and never check in on it until six months later and go, well, where are all the 3D bullseyes? Because uh, we said we we're going to do it in six months. You got to break it up a little bit. Say, you know, we're going to focus on this machine type. We're going to focus on gearboxes of, you know, 10 gallons or less. That's where we're going to focus first. Or we're going to focus on this location or this area of the plant. We're going to get that one all done and break it up into smaller bites of this is our focus for the month. And you say, I expect my lube techs or, or whoever, I expect my mechanics, whoever it is that's going to be doing it. I expect them to have these 3D sight glasses on them when they're walking through the plant because I expect them to do it while they're there. Don't, don't make it, you know. Well, this one guy's going to go around and do this this thing, and it's just whenever he feels like he has extra time to do it. Because well, let's be honest, the inside the plant, you never have extra time. There's always something that's more pressing than putting on a 3D bullseye. Yep. 
So if we're doing these things, these smaller things, we're taking that smaller methodical approach, how do we quantify some of these improvements from the Lou program so we can justify the next round or next evolution of the program? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so sometimes, you know, when we make a change to a piece of equipment, uh, we'll, we'll stick with 3D bullseyes because it's, it's pretty simple. Right. So before you put on that 3D bullseye, more than likely you were unscrewing a level plug. Right. And you had to you were waiting to see if any oil came out and then you screwed it back on. If nothing came out, then, well, you screwed it back on. Then you just guessed and topped it back up. Right. Um, and so on one hand, people think, well, that that's quicker than, you know, doing a 3D bullseye inspection because there's there's fewer things to look at. If there's oil coming out, you just screw it back on and move on. With the 3D bullseye right now, if we're going to do all the inspection points, we're going to check oil level. We're going to check oil clarity. We're going to look for bubbles in the sight glass to make sure, you know, there, there's all these other things that we can look at now. And people are going to go, well, that means that guy that used to only take 30 seconds to inspect this is now spending a minute there. Well, yes, that's true. But it also means that that guy can start looking at it before he gets there. Right. He can start processing. Is the oil level correct? Yes. Does the oil color look the same? Yeah, it does. Okay, now I get real close. Oh, look, there's no bubbles. All right, I'm done. So he's actually saved time, even though you've added more things to his list. Um, and then the other flip side of that is we're now putting the oil level at the proper place for this piece of for this piece of equipment. And sometimes I think we forget about the importance of oil levels and how critical those really can be. Too much oil and your gearbox isn't operating correctly. It's not lubricating all the parts the right way. Um, not enough. And we obviously clearly have a problem, right? Um, especially on a, uh, uh, system where it's, it's being pulled up by the gear teeth, right? Um, if it's not in that right spot, you're not going to get any lubrication to anything. Um, so I think that there's, there's some, there's a, a change of mindset that has to be understood that, yeah, our guys are going to be checking more boxes of, of, inspection points, but they're going to be able to do it a lot faster than what you thought that they could in the past. Um, and so sometimes, yeah, it, it's, it's some of those little things that, that you don't think about that when you hear it, it sounds like, well, yeah, I'm going to be spending more money on manpower. Well, maybe a little bit, but the truth is you're going to spend a lot less money on, you know, paying to overnight that gearbox from overseas when it fails, because, you've been able to look at it and it's not just that loop tech that can see it. It's, it's the operator that makes his rounds every day can look at it. Um, so you can have multiple sets of eyes on something and empower those guys of, Hey, you know, I know lubrication isn't your thing as an operator, but if you see it low, say something, right? Cause that, that it could have been the right level yesterday when the technician came walking through and checked it. And so, you know, I, I think that's that's the other part of it is don't feel like, you know, obviously you can go too far outside of your realm and outside of your box and do too much. But just checking a, a sight glass that that's sitting out there, that's man, everybody should be doing that every time they walk by. Uh, and so I think I think when you look at it from that way, you know, it's it's those, those little things that, that can make a huge difference. You're not going to maybe see it right away. That, that's one of the biggest things that we have to constantly tell people is you're going to make this this improvement and this change and 
you need to understand that it might be 12, 18, 32 months down the road before you actually see the financial dollar hit the bottom line. Um, because let, let's be honest, most of these pieces of equipment have already started their failure mechanism before you've made this change. So you're not going to see the return on that sometimes until after that piece of equipment has failed and you've put in a new gearbox and you've started from these best practices from day one. And now you're going to see, oh, holy cow, this gearbox that we used to change every, you know, five years has now been there for 15 years and we haven't had any problems with it. This is awesome, right? Uh, yeah, you got to pay for the sins of the past from not maintaining these things correctly for the last 5, 10, 15 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you've, you've got to almost think about it of, you know, you're going to completely rebuild your plant before you truly see all of the return of that investment coming back. Now, you'll see parts of it, right? I mean, obviously, that gearbox, maybe before you made that change, was only lasting two years and now it made it three, uh, you know, five. Um, and then when you install the new one, that one makes it 15, right? So you'll see some of those things. Don't think that like you just wait till everything fails and then and put it on there. No, you're, you're still going to extend the life of that piece of equipment as you make changes to it today. All right. Excellent. So, you know, we've talked a lot about a lot of the low hanging fruit. How do we implement it? That sort of thing. What's, what do you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today? Uh, I would say that the biggest thing to take away is don't be afraid to step out there and do something, right? I mean, if, if, if we just sit back and keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, uh, I mean, I believe that's purely the definition of insanity, right? Um, and so even if it's not right, at least do something, okay? We, we've at least made an attempt. Um, and sometimes I think that that's the scariest part is taking that first step of, of trying something, you know, we're, we're afraid that if it fails that, that we're going to lose our job or something like that. Um, and you know, obviously what, what we tell people is, Hey, look, don't go grab that, you know, <laughs> $2 million machine. That's highly critical. Start doing some of this stuff on like that, that pump that's out there that has a redundancy factor in there that if it fails, you can move over. Okay. And we can get this figured out. Um, so, you know, you don't have to start with the biggest, baddest piece of equipment in there. Um, and then the other thing that I'd tell people is if you, if you don't know the answer to something, there are tons of people out there that know the answers. And all you got to do is ask. Um, you know, I would say that I probably spend uh, probably 25 percent of my week just answering questions. Uh, you know, at, at, we're not charging people for that. We we. If, if we can find an answer for you and it takes me 10, 15 minutes to do a little bit of research and give you an answer, uh, by all means, that, let, let's, let's help you help each other out. Uh, you know, and so understanding that not everybody's out there just to get you, uh, get a few dollars from you. Um, and there's nothing wrong with asking for a couple of different opinions on something. Uh, you know, ask your lubricant supplier if you've got a really good relationship with them. Ask you know, somebody else, you know, ask Nori if you want. I, I'm perfectly fine with that. Call me up, ask me, email me. Um, you know, we're, we're always here trying to just help people take that next step into best practices and understanding, uh, you know, that lubrication is really, really important inside of your plant. Uh, it's not, it's not this, uh, you know, this either 
a role for that for that brand new guy that's just starting his career in, in, in maintenance. And it's not the spot for the guy that's just punching his time card, waiting to retire. You got to find that guy that's kind of in the middle that has some experience, who's going to be there for a while and is passionate about what he's doing. Um, that, that's that's the biggest thing. Yep. So speaking of that, where can people find out more about you? Where can they get in touch with you at? Same with Noria. How do they how do they access all these great resources? Yeah, absolutely. So you can always reach our uh, our website www.noria.com. Uh, you can email me directly at d jarrett. It's D as in Devon, Jarrett, J-A-R-R-E-T-T, at Noria.com. Um, or you can call us. Um, you know, um, our main line is 918-749-1400. Um, or you can call me directly, 918-392-5070. Um, I promise you, somebody here, if, if they don't know the answer, uh, they can get you in touch with somebody who does. All right, perfect. I'll make sure to put links to all that in the show notes so they can easily get in touch with you if they got questions. Absolutely. Now, one of my other favorite questions is what are your go-to resources? If someone's new to lubrication, what resource, class, webinar, book, whatever, do they got to go look at? Oh, man. Um, so I would say, at least from from our side, you know, anytime somebody comes into Noria who is not, even if they've if they've had some plant experience, um, I tell them to sit through uh, our lubrication awareness class. Um, it is a four hour class um, online. If it's in person, it's about a three hour class, but it barely scratches the surface. I mean, truly, um, it just talks enough to let you know that you really don't know a lot about lubrication. Um, and if you really want to know about it, you know, just how much is out there, uh, go to our, our uh, magazine website, machinerylubrication.com or machinerylubrication.com, I think is what it is. Um, but uh, it, it's a free publication. If, if, if you want uh, a magazine sent to you, it, it, we produce it every other month. Great articles in there. Um, and then if, uh, if, if you want to know how much is out there, just go look at the, uh, the articles section of, of the website and, uh, you'll see, gosh, I don't even know how many articles are in there. Um, and that will just tell you how much information is truly out there. Um, and there's no way that you're going to know every single piece of it. Um, so that, that would be the two things that I would say. If you're looking for an answer, I'd start with uh, our website for Machinery Lubrication Magazine and uh, start there, Google it, and I promise you, you'll get at least 15 different articles. All right, perfect. I will put a link to that as well so we can make it easy for our listeners to find that. So we'll do that. Well, Devin, I very much appreciate you taking the time today to chat to us about lubrication, the low-hanging fruit, getting started in it because it's a question that comes up from a lot of different people. Um, because you're right. You go look at, say, Machinery Lubrication Magazine, and it's overwhelming how much is out there, how detailed it gets. So start easy, start simple, start small, work your way through it. Don't go overboard right off the bat. Um, I think a lot of people will appreciate that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And James, I appreciate you having me on. It was a pleasure talking with you this morning. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. 
The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.